everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. We are doing a series on Advent. If you guys don't know what Advent is, it's really just... Um, taking time to look towards the birth of Jesus, right? It's awaiting, anticipating, right? Really, that's what that word means, Advent. And so again, we're anticipating the birth of Christ, his arrival, the incarnation, right? When, when God became man, and, and that's an incredible thing. And so what we do leading up to it is look at different things in our lives that um, point back to God, um, point back to Jesus, and we can... Um, see very clearly here uh, on display, uh, whether it's our hope in, in Jesus, right, our living hope, uh, whether it's peace that he brought, right, the Prince of Peace, um, or even our joy, right? He is the reason for our joy. Um, that's what we talked about last week. We looked at how true joy is totally different than happiness, right? A lot of the times when we think about joy and we think about happiness, for some reason, those things are kind of like synonymous with each other, and sometimes they get confused. We think, oh, we're happy people, so that means I have joy. I'm joyful, but those really are two separate things. Happiness is only a small sliver of what joy really ought to look like. It's fleeting. It's quick. It can change in the snap of a finger, right? The same things that make us the happiest in life also hurt us the most and bring us the most pain. Joy, true joy, the, the biblical joy that God has intended for us is unique. It, it, no matter what you throw at it, it can withstand. Because it's not circumstantial, it is from God. It, it's from the Spirit, as we talked about. True joy is from the Spirit. He's the one that supplies it. We looked at Simeon, who was the man that was in uh, the temple, and he was led there by the Spirit. The Spirit was upon him, it said. And before it said that, it said it was upon like six other people in one chapter before that. And so there's this reoccurring thing that comes up. And, and it's again pointing us to the fact that joy doesn't come from within us. It's not something we can muster up. Happiness, we can kind of do that. We can psych ourselves out, convince ourselves we're happy. But true joy cannot be faked. It's not from within us. It's from God. It is from the Spirit, and nothing in this world adds up to that joy that it brings. Not only is it from the Spirit, but again, true joy is rooted in hope. It's not in the fleeting things of this world, but again, in the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And true joy it longs for something more. Simeon, he hoped for the promises that God had given, but he knew that they would come to fruition. He trusted and believed, and he anticipated. He was actively hoping and longing for more. And as we look to Jesus, as we understand he is our joy, I, I don't want us to get caught up in the, really, the mediocrity that is our lives, right? Our lives may be great, and you guys might have amazing lives. I love my life. But let us not forget what is to come. There's something that's far greater than this. And a lot of times we just settle for this because we think, oh, this is as best that it's gonna possibly get, but it's not. 
If your joy is in the Lord, if you have hope in him and you know who he is and you know what he says, those things will come to pass. We know that's not in question, right? God's promises will take place. The matter of fact is, will you believe and trust in those things? Today, as we continue this series, we come to a close uh, with our Advent series. We're going to be talking about the last thing here, which is love. So, specifically in the sense of the advent of love, we think of love that came in the person of Jesus Christ, right? When we think of the birth of Jesus, we think of his coming to the earth, right? This is a, this is a, uh, right, the greatest example of love, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes here, but I just want to mention this because I think, right, before we get into what, what, what it really means, um, um, when we think of God sometimes, um, sometimes not even just ourselves, but there's just like this, um, I, I guess, picture of God that people have that they think of like an Old Testament God. And what I mean by that is they visualize God as this angry God who is, right, spiting people. And there's this um, vivid picture of what God is like, but people don't necessarily... Uh, I guess, like that. One of the things that you would say, if you went to anyone in the world, right, even if they didn't believe in God, if you just went to anybody, if there was a God, right, their God would be love. Their God would be a loving God, right, who, who loves them and, and cares for them. This is what God is, or he, he, well, this is what God does. He loves. And the truth is that universal uh, sentiment is true. God, in fact, does love. His Father, oh, the Father does love us, right? The love that Jesus showed throughout his ministry uh, is the same love that God, the Father, shows us. But there's something even greater than that and, and, and something much more than that is that he doesn't just show love. God, in fact, is love. God epitomizes love. And uh, again, love only exists really because of him. And we'll talk about that as well, but one of the things I want you guys to understand and comprehend is that um, God is love, so everything that he does is loving. Whether we comprehend it or not, if he is love, everything else that he does and ordains in our lives is out of love. To help us understand what that looks like, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there, but I'll also be reading it as we go through it, and it'll be on the screen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 4, looking specifically at verses 9 and 10. And here in this text, we see that um, um, the writer reiterates God's loving nature. And as we spend a few minutes this morning breaking down what is being said here, um, I want us to uh, leave with a better understanding of um, what God uh, looks like, who he is, and what love looks like, what love means, and what it represents or, uh, I guess, implies for us, or what we should take away from that. Uh, again, if you have your Bibles, First John 4, 9 is where we'll start. The first thing that we see here is, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. So, again, made manifest among us. Manifest just means to make visible, right? So 
Again, in this love, in this, the love of God was made visible to us, right? So God made his love visible, and in doing so, he also did that among us. So he's going to make his love visible among us, his people, in some way. Um, the way that he does that is seen right after that, that God sent his only son into the world. So again, God is going to make his love visible. He's going to do that among us, among people, among the world here. And he does so through sending his only son into the world. Now, <clears throat> bear with me here for a second. I'm going somewhere with this. Is anybody here excited to watch the new Percy Jackson series that's coming out on Disney Plus? <laughs> so, do you guys know what I'm talking about? There's a Percy Jack. Oh yeah, on your brick phone, you're gonna watch Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah. We're gonna put it. You're gonna throw it, screencast it on TV. Yeah, perfect. Anyways, so. I asked this, right, um, because I also wanted to know if you guys knew what I was talking about. You guys know Percy Jackson, or I think it's called The Lightning Thief, right? Um, you guys read those books growing up? Right, yeah. So I, I, I read those books growing up. There's a TV show that's coming out in just a few days, but I wanted to mention it um, because, again, it brings me back to my childhood. I really, I really enjoyed not just reading it, but you know, talking about it, the, the, the ideas and the premises behind it too. You know, growing up, I really liked the Greek mythology stuff. I was really intrigued by it. Um, just the different stories that existed, the, the characters, the, the drama, the fighting, this and that. Um, but I always thought that was really cool. And that's really what this whole series is about. It's about this kid whose father is a Greek god, and he's a half god, half person kind of thing. And he has a lightning bolt or something, and he has a friend who's a half goat, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Anyways, that's neither here nor there. As you can see, some of these stories are pretty wild. Um, <laughs> these stories, sometimes they um, are kind of crazy, and, and I promise I'm not making any of this stuff up. I did want to share with you uh, specifically the Greek mythology stuff, their creation story, right? So their creation story, um, it's actually the result of mutilation, castration. Um, if you look at the story, right, their creation story kind of arises out of a war between gods and titans. As a matter of fact, this supposed titan um, thing betrays his father and is so worried that his sons will betray him. So what does he do? Logically, he eats his kids. Not only does he eat his kid, but then he is tricked. He's tricked into eating a rock that is like wrapped in, in whatever it is, and he eats it thinking it's a child of his. So again, from this, you know, we see that like war pans out. There's all this fighting between these immortal beings. Um, <laughs> and this is totally different, totally separate than what we find Right, the Eastern beliefs, right? These ancient Eastern beliefs are totally different than what we find in the Christian understanding of, of things. We look at what God's word says. We see that uh, it's very clear. There's um, 
God's three-in-oneness on display, the Trinity of God, right? The, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each person within the Trinity distinct, perfectly coexisting. And this unravels to us the relational aspect of God. Right here when he says the only begotten Son of, of God, he's talking about this special term that means, you know, or implies Jesus' sonship as unique, um, he's talking about how Jesus and the Father are of the same substance, uh, the same essential being. This triune nature of God, it means that the relationship and the love that they have is intrinsic. Right? They love one another. Right? It's part of their divine identity. We as, their, uh, we as God's creation were made from an outpouring of this intrinsic love. And their perfect union and commitment to one another, for us, we obviously see it because it spills out over into all of creation. No matter what we see and what we look at, we see his beauty and we see his love on display. So again, this is separate than what we see, right? Chaos, war, violence. And yet, on the other hand, we see a God who creates things out of an outpouring of his love, spilling over an outflow of his love. And we're made in the image of this relational God with an understanding of love and community and fellowship. But that is ultimately from the source itself, the eternal communion of the Trinity, which again is totally contrary to what we find in other beliefs. War, competition, Right where there's gods body slamming each other, mutilating each other, killing one another. Right from chaos and destruction, kind of everything happens and falls into place. But instead, um, we don't see that in the Bible. The Bible asserts that everything comes from uh, beauty and love. And that's how all things came to be. And that is a continuation of the perfect love, right, um, that we see as the reason for the season. We see that perfect love again on display in God the Son when he came to this earth and took on uh, one of these things, a mortal body. And for you, you might say, oh, I'm in pretty good shape. That's not a bad thing, right? I got like a cheese grater down here, right? right? My, my abs, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. If Jesus had a, a body like mine, he'd be, he'd be okay. <laughs> But think about it. Think about an eternal God, right? The God that we just kind of talked about, this triune God existing with the Father for all of eternity, sovereign over all things. This God that we're talking about comes down to earth and takes on flesh. He is to the point of humility where he becomes a baby. <laughs> I'm gonna be a father really soon, and my father, yeah, of course. Yeah, and Jeff, and Jeff, credit, 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 all credit, all credit to my, all right, all right, all right, all right. All credit to my wife over there. Um, she's been a champ, um, but Jeff knows this, because he's, he's a father, and uh, I know this because my wife has gotten me several different books about fatherhood. Um, fatherhood for dummies um and so i've been been looking at that and um you can kind of read what you can expect right 
Um, and I get to see that too. I kind of obviously know some of, the, some of the things that come with being a father, and I get to see that with, you know, my nephew and all that. But one of the things that scares me the most is changing a diaper. Um, I, yeah, I'm not looking forward to doing that. Yeah, I should. Um, but, but think about that. Like, God humbled himself to the point where he became a baby. Right, the God who created all things, he became a baby. That baby that is, right, can't control himself, totally dependent on somebody who you have to change, right? It's kind of, it's very humbling when you think about it. When you put it into perspective and you imagine that he, well, he has to eat for the first time. He needs to sleep. God, again, is eternal. God is above time. He doesn't operate in the way that we do. And now he's taking naps. Right? God takes on the form of a man and comes down to earth. And he lives amongst us. We know the reason why. Right? We, knew, we, we know his mission to go to the cross. And we'll talk about that soon. But, but, but even more than that, right? Right? It doesn't just end there. It says here in verse 9, it's so that we might live through him. It's another aspect to it. The love of the Father was not only uh, in sending the Son, but it was also what sending the Son accomplishes for us. It brings life to all who trust in Jesus and his work on our behalf. And that is the difference between fully a living in Christ and existing. Living in Him. You know, it's not that you can't be happy. It's not that you can't enjoy life. Right? You can enjoy things without being saved. Right? Nobody here was born a Christian. Nobody here was born a believer. But between that time and the time that you accepted Jesus, in that space, you still enjoyed things. You still had fun. Some of you may not even have a relationship with God now, and you don't think you need one because you have more than you need. You have fun. You enjoy your life. You can't imagine it getting any better. As a matter of fact, you look at Christianity, and you look at a relationship with Jesus, and you actually think it's the opposite, that it's limiting your fun, that you're not going to have joy, that you're not going to experience love. That it limits your capacity to know love. You rather find that in other things. But you still enjoy things. Or at least you think you do. To some degree, that is true. When we talk about certain things that we mentioned a few weeks ago, like comfort, success, um, you know, acceptance from other people, those things you'll experience and those things are good, but that's it. It's just that, right? Even with the food that you eat, the, the house that you live, it's just that. You're gonna live in a nice house, amazing, good. You're gonna eat great food, <laughs> that's amazing, right? You're gonna enjoy, I enjoy a nice steak. We just had our Christmas party, I ate like a madman, of course, I, I rarely have steak. I love it, and that's great. And you can experience that without even having a relationship with God However, outside of Christ, 
You can never truly experience the fullness of those things because you don't know the creator that gave it to you. You don't know the one who provided that for you, who gave that to you. So you're left with things like comfort, as we mentioned, and it might feel good, but that's it. And the same goes for everything else. The reason being, guys, is that you were created to worship. You were created as beings to acknowledge the creator who gives you these things. And you will always be robbed from experiencing the fullness of those things if you don't know him. Even if you're an atheist, you're self-proclaimed atheist, you say, well, I don't believe in anything. I actually don't believe that there is something. You still worship something. You still worship something because you can't help it. You are made to worship. You are wired to worship. You can't help it. Our whole being will give praise to something. And what the believing Christian has is an understanding of the good and faithful and loving God who is behind those things. The greatness of God's love is shown not only in saving us from judgment that we deserved, but also wanting us to live through him. So do you live through him? Is that you? It's a great way to define the Christian life is that we live through him that we recognize who gives us these things out of love. And we thank him and praise him for all that he's given us. And, that you, and, and then you will experience the fullness of things in him. The God of the Bible, the one who is love, made his love visible and made it visible among us so that we might have life. That's what verse nine is all about. As we get into verse 10, this is what it says. Um, in this is love. Not that we might have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his, life, his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, again, Christians aren't miserable and depressed people, mad at the world. If you are, that's not the life that God intended for you. John 10.10, 10, it says very clearly that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's a life that he has for you and desires for you that only he can provide. And so again, as we look at verse 10, in this love, um, now that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to propitiation for us, as a propitiation for our sins, what does this mean? Well, let me give you an example here. The other day, I was sitting down. This week has been terrible, and I'm sure that most of you can probably sympathize with this. You guys have, like, final exams this week, right? Midterms, all that stuff. Yeah, rest in peace. Moment of silence for all those that didn't pass. Um, anyways, so I've been studying as well. This past weekend was the last day to submit, um, you know, papers and all that stuff. And you can ask my wife every single day, you know, trying to you know, get home and just zero in on school, write essays, do research, all that stuff. And I've been just perched up at our table just doing all that every single day. Anyways, obviously, 
Um, I'm kind of in tune with what's going on around me. You know, you ever turn on something on the TV, but you're doing something else, you're multitasking. Um, my wife doesn't know how I do that, but uh, I do that all the time. Um, I, I was watching what my wife was watching on TV kind of passively. And she was watching this show. In the show, the main character is a female, and she's at a family wedding. And at this family wedding, at some point, I remember her boyfriend coming up to her, and they're dancing pretty awkwardly. And he looks at her and tells her, I think I love you. And she says absolutely nothing. Leaves. Doesn't answer. Now, later that night, keep in mind, this is still the same day. Later that night, she then goes through a series of events, finds this boy's brother, and kisses the brother. <laughs> now, now, the, that's not even the strangest part. The strangest part was <laughs> my wife was happy for her because she was rooting for that relationship instead of the other one because supposedly the other guy was cringy. Anyways. Now, I was sitting there and I was thinking, poor guy. That's terrible. Um, but that's somehow what our world views as love. Oh man, she ended up with the right person. Good for her. That's the idea or the picture that people have in this world of what romance looks like. Let me prove a point. Let me ask you this. Anybody, raise your hand and you tell me. What is the most romantic movie in the world? Nope. Okay. Okay, well, guys, totally out of touch here. Girls, let me ask you specifically. Okay, that's, that's a popular one. What, is the, what would you say, girls or anyone, what did you say the most romantic movie is? The Notebook. The Notebook. Anybody say The Notebook? Well, uh, I set you up there. Let me explain to you what The Notebook is really all about here, ladies and gentlemen. All right. One second here. Bear with me. Bear with me. This is important. The Notebook. Are you sure about that? The lady in the notebook is also terrible. Let me explain. Let me explain. The main character is engaged to a man that loves her, that provides for her. He romances her, loves her family. And may I also mention the rock that he gives her on that ring is like a mountain. It's ridiculous. He provides for her. He cares for her, loves her. Now, what is her response? She goes back to some guy that she went to high school with and spends the whole weekend with him. And just because he happens to be Ryan Gosling, everybody's okay with it. Everybody is okay with what happens here. Now, what's even interesting with that situation is that the fiance still forgives her. He is still willing to take her back. He's, he's willing to put that all aside. And she still doesn't end up with him. 
she, she, it's not this beautiful romantic story. It's actually quite sad. It's, it's, not, it's not what we should make out as the ideal romantic movie should look like. Because if that's, if that's the case, guys, we are all in trouble. <laughs> Nobody is secure. If that is what girls think are the most romantic, or guys, if that's what you think the most romantic is in the world, then there is a serious issue. Right? Right? They have made, she's, she's made a commitment, or, or they're planning on this commitment, and again, things go awry, and the funny thing is we kind of celebrate this in some way. We, we cry about it. We're emotional about it. We, we, we set it up, again, as I said, as kind of like the standard for what love should look like. But here's my point. That is not what love should be. Human love is broken. It's messed up. That should not be the standards that we're shooting for. Right, sure, the, the, that couple dies together, but the other guy died alone. Human love is, again, broken. When you think of love, when you think of love and you think about the person you love the most in life. Listen, I love my wife with all my heart, but I've hurt my wife in, in many occasions. As best as I try, I'm not perfect. I can't love her the way that, that God loves me. And that's why love, when we think of love, love should not start with, with us. It shouldn't start with you, and I know you guys can relate to that. Just think. Of all the people you care about, you still hurt them. You're, you're flawed. And if you haven't yet, you will. It's just how it is. Why would I look to myself to define something if I can't, if I can't give a proper definition of what it should be through my own actions and my own life. And that's why in verse uh, 10, it starts with him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God bless you. And sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. The sending of Jesus in his mission defines love for us. That is real love. What we know as, or some of us may know as, as agape love. It's not defined by our love for God, but by his love for us. So our, our love for God doesn't really say anything about how great we are. The way we love God, it doesn't reflect anything about us because it's his love for us that initiates our relationship of love with him. Only love um, that we have responds to his love for us. We can't love God the way that we should unless we are receiving and living in his love. Uh, John 3:16 and 17, as a matter of fact, very popular verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So no, guys. Love is not physical attraction. That person's good looking. That fades. That goes away. 
that, that you, the person you are today, you won't look the same in 10 years and then the 10 years after that. And it's definitely not emotional. Love is not emotion, right? You might be head over heels about somebody, um, right? Or you might say, oh, oh, they drive me crazy in a good way. And then the other next day, it might, they might drive you crazy in not the nice way. Um, emotions, right, shouldn't, they're nice and they're, they're important, but it doesn't represent what love is. Again, they're circumstantial and they change. Romans, it tells us that while we were still weak, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and this is love. This is love, that the perfect and holy God would lay his life down for us so that we, so that we might be rescued and ransomed. Um, to kind of close here, wrap things up, start to at least, we look at the end of this verse and it says propitiation, which is a word that uh, we use very often, right? Um, propitiation has this idea of a sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God. And I want to mention this because I think it's important too, because we're talking about how God is love, God loves us in a perfect way, but God rightly regarded us, apart from him, as worthy targets of his judgment. Meaning we were rebels and enemies against God, even if we didn't know it. God is love, but I do want to, again, reemphasize, God is also all of his other characters, including holiness. God is holy. We don't separate those two. Some people in the world might want God to be love and love them, accept everything about them. And expect that that's the case, but God is at the same time holy. He is perfect in every way. And you can't separate who he is from each other. God is love, but he is holy. As a matter of fact, as you look at the Bible, it says God is love, period, about four times. And if you look at how many times it says God is holy, it's over 500, like 600 times. The character of God doesn't vary or change. He doesn't stop being one thing to another. God is love, but he is holy. And naturally, because of this pure love, the more pure it is, the more capacity for wrath that he has. The more hatred he has towards sin because it is totally opposite of who he is. So without his son, there was a penalty, right? The wages of sin is death and we were eternally separated from him. There was no way of reconciliation. And yet, on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment of our sins, the one that we deserve, and his sacrifice turns that judgment away so that we would be received. That's how, again, God shows love for us through Jesus, but also in the sending of Jesus. If we look at this whole verse here, 
9 through 10. This shows the love of God for us and that his love is the best gift. Um, one of the things that is interesting, I have here a quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. He says this, talking about our relationship and reconciliation to him. If there was to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent to God. The offender ought to be the first to apply for forgiveness. The weaker should apply to the greater for help. The poor man should ask of him who distributes alms. But here in his love, that God sent. He was first to send an embassy of peace. It's incredible that God would do that for us. Right, if you wrong somebody, that's not our tendency. If you're the offender, people wait until you approach them. You didn't do anything wrong. Why should you go out of your way, try to rectify anything? And yet here is God, who we have sinned against. He sends his son for you and for me. He humbles himself by coming in this earth, living the perfect life, and dying, taking the sin of you and I upon himself, the penalty of death that you and I deserve. Having received this love from God, we are directed to what? Show that same love to others. The first application here is to accept the free gift of salvation, of course. God loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. Or you can spend eternity with him. And if you haven't done that yet, there's no day like the present. And then the following thing is if we know this love that God has shown us, our response should be to love others in the same way as he has called us to do. He calls us to love him first and foremost and to love others just as he has loved us. And we have that responsibility to go to others and to reflect that same love that he shows within the Trinity, that he shows within himself and he has shown to us. When we go to others, we see the model that Jesus laid out for us in washing his disciples' feet, um, being a great servant to those around him, not expecting things in return, but loving them. If somebody offends you, and here's some practical application, seek reconciliation with them. Don't wait around. If somebody has hurt you, offended you, don't wait around and wait for them to approach you, come to you, seek reconciliation. You might not be the offended party, but that's okay. Imagine if that was the case with our relationship with God, and he waited for us to reconcile ourselves to him. We would be hopeless. If we understand this love, and we are called to love one another, having received the love of God, being born of him, love is the proof we are to look for. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, thank you again for all that you have done for us and how you love us, care for us, and uh, provided for us 
a means of reconciliation to you, and a way to know and experience love. Or without you, we are broken, flawed people. Or but in you, we find somebody who is holy and perfect, who loves us and cares for us, so much so that you sent your son to die for us. That in and of itself is a great, great example of love, and yet, even more so, your son then died on the cross for us. Lord, I, I pray that everybody would understand that, know that, accept that free gift of salvation, Lord, and also that that would spur us on to love one another. And during this season of joy, of peace, and hope, and of love, that we would reflect on all these truths and look to you, who is love. We thank you again for all these things. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, everybody, thank you guys so much for being here.